0: Thanks for joining Impact Boom on this episode.
1: Whether that's directly looking at climate biodiversity or the sort of social impacts that has and how that affects people disproportionately who are least responsible for it and so on. So I'm thinking if we're in this great disruption, then where is the great transformation, right? The great transformation, this is what we need to respond to the great disruption. What does that mean being in a great transformation?
0: Welcome to impactboom.org. You can find all the stories, links, and other great content at impactboom.org. Follow us on Facebook or Twitter for the latest updates, or subscribe to the newsletter or on iTunes. Thanks for listening to episode 441 of Impact Boom. My name's Tom Allen, and I'm passionate about bringing you the latest interviews and insights to help you create positive social impact. Today we're speaking with Andy Marks. Moving to Australia in 2014, Andy Marks' many roles include Strategic Advisor for the Purpose Conference, Responsible Cafes, Environmental Philosopher Glenn Albrecht, and Pixiel Podcasts. He was also ABC's first Impact Advisor on the War on Waste, the originator of Fix and Make Festival, and multiple advisory roles for New South Wales Government in Energy climate change, and sustainability's division. Previously, Andy spent 18 years as founder and CEO of two groundbreaking UK-based startups in content, research, and circular economy product development. Across Andy's many endeavors, climate change and sustainability are a constant, and he is highly regarded for his expertise and leadership to create positive change. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast today, Andy. And we'll be discussing a few things, namely, we'll be learning from Andy's insights and lessons learned from starting, growing, and supporting a range of different organizations and enterprises in the climate, impact, and sustainability spaces. And I'm happy to say, after all of these episodes, today, we are about to get a drum roll. Lovely. Andy, thank you so much for joining us.
1: Thank you. And thank you for also letting me introduce myself with my own very own drum roll on a conga drum.
0: Oh, mate, when I saw that behind you before we kicked off, I was like, we need to have a drum roll for this. Uh, it's, you know, it's, it's the perfect, the perfect time.
1: It's the perfect ask for me. Trust me. Bringing a passion into my work life.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Fantastic. So Andy, we were fortunate to meet through the Taronga. Hatch program a little while ago and and recently have seen each other at the Purpose Conference as well. But before we get it and delve into a little bit of that stuff, it'd be lovely for you to share a bit about your background and what it was that led to this passion of yours in helping leaders and organizations basically work towards creating better climate change and sustainability outcomes.
1: Okay, that's so cute for me to talk about myself. Pretty um, much. Yeah, keep it... To a point where, because it's my my story, is to try and keep it concise, because there's a lot I could say. I'll trace it back a little bit to my early career in advertising in London. It's very different to how I think about the world and view it now. I was quite fortunate. I was in an agency that was very creative and wanted to change the markets that it was working for on behalf of its clients. And I suppose I got a great introduction to actually look at across a lot of different businesses, a lot of different clients, a lot of different sectors... And also try and understand how to use creativity to help them. There was something underlying that, though, is that I found advertising, actually the ads themselves, really a bit boring, actually. Mm. And thinking, hey, what more could that money do to try and serve multiple needs? Advertisers spend a lot of money, right? Yeah, so yeah. I also had a sense that the change was coming in terms of how people consume media and the choices of media, the media landscape was, feel there was an imminent shake-up. So I left to set up my own agency called A-Vision and that was really a bit different, a different model to the traditional advertising agency and it had a research, it had a content development arm and also an experience design arm, how to bring things to life and engage people in the real world. Also, had a purpose like about how the money for advertising from advertisers could be used to help enhance culture, or make culture richer, and the people who create cultural content, like artists, filmmakers, photographers, writers, is to work with them and support them in some way. Mm. So, it had a wide client base, but really ones which were much more sort of into that whole cultural space added MTV, Sony, Disney, Raw Shakespeare, Company, and so on who understood the idea of connection through culture, because that's what a lot of their products were like, as well as had that link. So I did that for 11 years. And wow, it was an amazing experience for me. I was young and naive and really managed to achieve quite a lot in terms of what I thought was expected of me. But I got to a point really that I felt like it really wasn't serving me that I'd done what I set out to achieve. Mm. And also I felt like how I was viewing the world and the needs of the world, it wasn't really in line with that. And I think also there might have been a little inkling that at some point I'd be starting a family with my partner. Yes. And so I was like, okay, this isn't serving me. I need to move on from this. And that's what I did. And I went through a few like incarnations supporting corporates in corporate responsibility or corporate social responsibilities, it was called back then. But then I actually did another startup, and that was in Circular Economy Product Development, and this was a really fascinating thing because I had a breakthrough moment in a hotel yeah. in Thailand on a beach, actually, uh, in the bar with the owner talking about waste in their business. And she told me, she goes, Andy, you know, in our business, the hotel bed linen needs to be uh, part of the guest experience. It's great quality, but people abuse it and it's under great stress is being taken to a laundry you know very quickly and return very quickly yep. so she because we chuck our linen out at very high quantities have you ever thought about working with bed linen i'm like hotel bed linen and like wow what mm. a great story and what beautiful quality material so i looked into that to see what the volumes of linen might be available and my model in uh, speaking to and researching the world's top 300 hotel companies was that in one year they discarded enough linen that if you put it end to end next to each other it would go around the world more than twice that's insane right? yeah As a, what's happening to it there's two things one is that it's actually is it just a waste product that needs to be chucked or at best it's what's called downcycled into a low quality product rags for cleaning car mechanics and so on yeah. so my first sort of product incarnation with that materials to develop uh, a range of premium tote bags and had a real eye on the fact that plastic bags also was something that people were starting to realize we need to see the last of them yeah so i was developing premium tote bags i was partnering hotels to actually create them some of them would sell them but the interesting thing with that is that they're not in the business of selling tote bags so very quickly through that journey of it was called sleeping bags mm. the enterprise we ended up co-developing ranges of products that they use in hotel rooms. So we're actually saying, what can we replace that you use in your business out of the linen from those beds Mm. that are in in your hotel rooms? We developed a co-branded range of what's called room amenities. So laundry bags, newspaper bags, shoe bags, robes, eye masks, related sleepwear items. And tried to do that at scale, and had products in ten thousand Marriott rooms in the UK and five thousand Radisson rooms in the UK. Went through successfully raised investment, and I did that for around about six years. Mm. I was very fortunate that I had a background in more service orientated business and also in manufacturing. I felt like that was a really great for me. I loved yeah. working with Discard and the Life Linen. But my other half is Australian and we always had it in our mind, especially when we had kids, to bring them over here and be closer to her family. Yes. So as you mentioned, in 2014, I moved here. And I'll very quickly finish the last part of where I'm up to, because you did a great introduction for, uh, on me, so thank you for that, is when I came here, I'm like, well, what am I going to do? I don't know Australia. I don't know people here, really, other than my in-laws. And my career path isn't really a linear one. It's not like I've gone, I'm going to come and do that, replicate that development idea here. just felt like just wasn't ready to do that again. And I had moved on from that comms, marketing, content world as well. So I just set out my stall to think I need to be really positive, open with people, and try and connect with people who have values aligned, passionate people who want to create change. And it's just led me into all sorts of really interesting things, I'm completely independent, that has its positives and it has its challenges as everything does. Mm. But my model very broadly is to work with the more bottom-up grassroots disruptors that are often very fast-moving, like the Purpose Conference that you mentioned, and also look at how more top-down systemic change can be created in large, complex, often slow-moving organisations. And that's where my relationship with New South Wales government has developed over the last Mm. six years or so working at those two levels and i think as somebody who's really interested in thinking more about how to help try and drive change in the world it's a great vantage point to have
0: yeah it really is having that sort of bird's eye view and a greater understanding of the system is super interesting i loved your reference there to sleeping bags and it's just amazing the history and overlap we have in that upcycling sort of space Mm -hmm. as well In setting up a brand called Ginger with Norma Silva and then another one called Lucid Mass with Lucia Bruni out of Barcelona. But there's yeah. a great overlap there and I love what you were doing there. Let's talk a little bit more then about what you're doing now then in order to support these other organizations and leaders because you yeah. use an approach that's called effective visionary leadership. So tell us a bit more about that.
1: Just to sort of quickly recap, yeah, we had this great like connection point which we discover that we've both been in that circular economy development area and both probably quite ahead of the curve in it, Mm -hmm. trying new things. But really where I'm up to now is, I suppose, my approach, I do have a name for it and I do have some processes that are constantly being evolved and developed through the experiences I have. And I'm very interested in leadership. And I'm interested in how leadership works, but how leadership isn't always top down, but it also helps empower organizations, empowers people in the middle and all levels yeah. to actually own things and to take risks and to be part of actually driving change, creating thought leadership and influencing stakeholders to be on that journey. But interestingly, Tom, and I was thinking about, should I tell you all about my effective visionary leadership approach? I thought, actually, I'm in a really interesting point of consideration and inflection with it and everything mm. that I do, which is sort of ongoing, but periodically spikes and I'm going like, where should I apply myself? And I look at the people I'm working with and take stock of that. Yes. And also what I'm learning, because I'm so fortunate that the flexibility I have, as I say, is great. And that's good for the people I work with. That I can be incredibly flexible. I'm not bound to an organization. But also it means that being in so many different environments, I'm learning and experiencing across such a wide range of things. And being at the Purpose Conference with you, and I'm sure you'll relate to this, was a like this incredible input of like so many interesting and amazing people hearing about their work and then chatting to them afterwards and hearing their stories and the challenges and where we're all up to. And it was just like, oh my goodness, I'm so full of thoughts. So I'm in a period of deep investigation and exploration and, and reflection, really. I've also recently been away. I'm very fortunate I got a pass that my travels included India with my son. I mentioned at the conference. I've also been reflecting on my time with environmental philosopher Glenn Albrecht. Mm. I was moderating a panel with him at Purpose. And I just feel when I look at the sort of impact and influence that I have, if you're in any sort of impact or purpose-driven space, this is great conflict. This is I know what's important. I know what I need to achieve. Am I doing enough? Right. Mm. Is it enough? Yes. Are we going, f- are we going further enough? Yeah. And it'll tend to be like a, a lot of the time going, actually, no, it's not enough. And how do you then sort of marry the needs of a business and the needs of profit, planet, people, and to make sure that the pace of change is at the sort of levels it needs to. So I was taking stock of some of the really brilliant businesses that I saw at Purpose and how they are trying to really change markets. And I think there's a piece of thinking that I'm, evolving and I wanted to share with you that I think I'm seeing how it's going to evolve my thinking and I'm looking at something like purpose and I'm looking at say where's the mainstream on change and it's very difficult for if you think about an adoption model where you've got like your innovators and the early adopters at the very lower pointy bit of this curve and then sort of where the early majority and the late majority is that's where the sort of actions and that's where the change needs to happen to yes. really shift things. OK, so I'm like thinking about that a little bit. And I'm also thinking about the fact that if that is where the change really needs to happen at speed, we're already in a, a great disruption. And the great disruption isn't about Uber or Airbnb. It's about climate and biodiversity. Mm-hmm. It's started. It's deep The impact it's creating is devastating and we all feel it and we're all probably very motivated in some way to respond to that and whether that's directly looking at climate biodiversity or the sort of social impacts that has and how that affects people disproportionately who are least responsible for it or and so on so i'm thinking if we're in this great disruption then where is the great transformation right the great right. transformation this is what we need to respond to the great disruption what does that mean being in a great transformation and i'm seeing the early evidence of it in to say some of the organizations that i've met through working on your project through toronga zoo seeing a purpose and so on it's some amazing work with people doing brilliant things and they're all obviously like how do i scale right hmm. how do i reach a critical mass which is making my business sustainable and having the impact that's greatly needed so you know at purpose i was speaking to the founder of mci carbon sophie hamlin wang who's got this incredible technology or mm-hmm. of technologies to try and shift the building industry and embed carbon in the building materials and regen ventures who are a VC looking at how actually what they invest in has to be regenerative and think very carefully that there are no negative impacts in that. Yeah, I'm yeah. like, okay, that's really interesting. Okay. So how is that accelerated? What's my role in that? Okay. And we know that if the mainstream are not part of this, okay, then we're not going to get to where we need to get to quick enough. And really, this is the decade where that transformation needs to happen. Looping it back, it's a long answer. of What's my, you know, effective visionary leadership approach? I suppose I'm always thinking about this, is that how do you try and drive and the pace of change or help give people the confidence that as leaders, that's what they're there to do is to take risks, right? Is to try things. Once you start to think about a certain thing, you see all these other things that reinforce it. So I was on Bank Australia's AGM listening to that Yesterday, I'm a Bank Australia customer, and their outgoing chair said to finance change, you have to change finance. I'm like, wow, that's uh. so true. That's so great. Okay, where's that up to financing change? What does that really mean? In the world that I know that you're so passionate about with the work that you do, is that finance is such an incredibly important part of that. Yeah. And is it meeting the needs? of the entrepreneurs and startups and also that the businesses who are at scale and more established Mm. and that need to try and shift and change their business models. The expectations of the returns for those businesses is still probably largely the same will be impact investing is taking a you know a different lens to that. Yeah. That's a little bit of a like a download to you, Tom. It's like mm. I'm using my interview as a maybe a bit of a cathartic process, like I'm actually lying on the couch with somebody who's given me some analysis and that would be great. Or oh, it is great because I know I can speak to you like that. But I'm yeah. really interested in in how we push the idea of a great transformation. Yeah. And just perhaps the purpose conference, because I have a great relationship with the people who do that. Glenn Albrecht, this environmental philosopher with his concept of the symbiocene, which is the period after the Anthropocene, the current destructive epoch that we find ourselves in now. I do what I do and I have the lenses that I apply, but I'm really trying to sort of really think now, what are the levers that will accelerate change? Mm. and How do you embolden leaders and their organizations to take Maybe some risks, but ones that are thought through in a way that validates the decision-making processes. Yeah, so. yeah, <laughs>
0: super interesting, and it's it's great just to be chatting this out because I think this is where we can arrive to some deeper understandings, right? And in, at least for me, I certainly tend to process thoughts as I talk them through, right? So, what's yeah, coming up at yeah. the moment for me is we talk about this great transformation and the the big bushfires and floods and all all these. Just horrendous activities happening across the world at the moment. When it comes to climate change and it's on our doorstep, we see some typically pretty quick responses, depending on the organisation or the region, right? Yes. And when we know that it's here and it's affecting us, we can act quickly, but then it seems like we become complacent once those urgent threats then disappear, and when it comes to the purpose-driven business movement, at least what I'm seeing, Andy, is that it's still very fragmented. We still have a number of silos operating across this purpose-driven movement when it comes yeah. to the way we define ourselves. So if it's social enterprise or B Corps or purpose-driven or profit-for-purpose or even in the corporate yeah. space from ESG to shared value to CSR, there's all of these different pillars. Yeah. But I'm wondering how we really hit that big green button to properly take this mainstream and yeah. properly get people to understand the urgency and take the action even when they don't have things that are threatening them here and now. What do you reckon? Yeah.
1: It's great to hear you say that and I, and I agree is that what can we all do whether that's through our work or our everyday lives or our power as a consumer to try and help Propel things faster. And just one little thing I picked up again on the Bank Australia is that somebody said, Well, you know, what can I do? There's another talk somebody from Bank Australia gave. They said, Ask your bank, what are they doing? This was in mm-hmm. terms of nature biodiversity. What are they doing to increase biodiversity and reduce habitat loss?
0: Yeah.
1: Ask them. So I think, you know, something like that, you go, Yeah course, you can just do Mm. that. We are Mm. empowered to to ask them and also have conversations with other people. Say, well, actually, I'm with this bank. Do you know what your bank does? So I think actually we're more empowered than we realise. And people change things. People start movements. Yeah. All right. And I think the problem in part is that we're trying to deal with a lot of to get that cut through, and people are so addicted to devices and screen time and so on. But human contact, as we experienced at the Purpose Conference. Is where things change and magic conversations happen, yeah. and you feel reinforced. And you go, "I'm oh, not just me thinking like that. I'm not the only one that's feeling that." Mm-hmm. And that actually also I feel is really energising. One thing is actually knowing that you know, having conversations, and also knowing that we have agency and we yeah. can advocate and we can ask questions. I think another thing which I'm interested, in, which is this work with Gun Olbrecht, is actually what a positive of the vision of the future could be what it might feel like, what it might look like, what might we do. And I think that these sort of things about change is, are, can be quite abstract that we talk about targets and numbers and they're really important to try and measure What's happening out of it is and, sh- and show progress, but I think we're sort of might also benefit from saying, look, we want to create a better future. Actually, there's a future that we still are like committed to. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah, so another thing from purpose. Somebody was talking. He's, a, he's an adaptation specialist. He goes, well, "We need to reframe what adaptation is, and adaptation needs to be synonymous with abundance. Mm. So actually, we can create the future that we want. We're trying to mitigate climate. We're trying to deal with adaptation, but there's still things that we can go for to try and protect and we can try and reestablish our links with nature and have nature-positive strategies, actions in our lives and in our work. And that's why I'm so interested in the work of Glenn Olbrecht and to say the symbiocene actually sets out a period in the future and all sorts of activities and all sorts of things. And he said, actually, there's a lot of work to be done. It will be full employment. We need to be incredibly creative. It isn't about less Mm. in the symbiocene. And I'm really inspired by that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So Um, that's have another look at this from another angle then in the work that you do with organizations from nimble agile organizations all the way through to the slower moving risk adverse sort of larger organizations Mm -hmm. where have you seen them really falling short then when it comes to Uh delivering on actual climate change sustainability outcomes
1: okay it's not a name and shame exercise, no, so no. I'll refrain. It's tempting, but I'm not going to. Yeah. But you know, I think that there's a a, a risk that a, a sort of a trap that people fall into, and that is, I think there's box ticking. We are, we've got a sustainability, we've got an ESG strategy, we've got a sustainability plan, and actually, what happens is that they are bought in as business as usual, which in their principle sounds good, but they get very diluted, mm. and that they sort of then become part of a, a very low fairly low a subset of the bigger targets so we need to have growth here across the business in these ways all right sure i get that but actually how do these things become front and center to help shape the type of growth the type of activities, the type of engagement you have with your employees and the type of engagement you have with your customers I think what's probably harder, and it's the larger the organisation, the harder it is to what you might call retrofit things Mm. I think there's a real risk that whatever they are using the United Nations SDGs or I'd say terms like sustainability, is that they become a little bit watered down Mm. I think also what's happening, i picked up on, is that because these things are now passed down, they're not as higher sort of agenda items at a board level is that because we're doing them now yeah. is that then they risk that lack of backing at that senior leadership level mm. so that's what i would say that i'm seeing and we're still obviously cycles wise in terms of planning and returns on investment is still a very short payback cycles so we're not thinking about the long term but the strategies and the terminology like nature positive and we've got a great deal there's a lot that We have a lot of great processes. There's a lot of great learning. If we did all the things that we know we needed to do, if we say let's do them now, we would have got a great chance of getting to stabilizing global heating Mm. and so on and species loss and
0: so on. Absolutely. That's a really interesting reflection there. So let's bring forward then a few more examples. You've referenced quite a few already, Andy, but let's talk about some inspiring projects or initiatives that you've been coming across, which you believe are creating some great positive social change and good ins- inspirational organisations.
1: Look, I have to sort of go back to the Purpose Conference, and only because I have mentioned it a few times and it's certainly a connection point with us. I think what's really interesting about that is it can be quite purist in terms of setting out the agenda and reflect on who's doing great work, right? But it also needs to has a, a a sense that... You've got to see the change or it really helps if you see the change and you see the leaders yeah. and you hear about their work. It helps you obviously as a benchmark against what you're doing, but also there's nothing more inspiring than hearing and also hearing about some of the deep pain and challenges those people have gone through mm. to try and help create and shape the organizations. So actually, I think those human stories are really important so that you get a purpose. And also, there's, as I mentioned before, there's points of connection. And also what I think, which I'm a great believer of anyway, is the power of stories as evidenced through the people here at Purpose, but also how we share our stories and the stories that we tell and the sort of environment that create the experiences that we have together. So I think Purpose is a really good one. I was at the Ocean Impact Organization's Pitch Fest mm. on Wednesday, and I heard there's a lot of great things happening there in that space. It still feels like it's really emerging. In terms of it's not at the sort of same level as climate related yeah. investments and in startups, they said the global investment needs to be around, I think, $165, $175 billion level per annum. I think it's in the sort of low under 10 yeah. currently. Yeah. So that yeah. was a bit, think, a bit of a shame to see. I mentioned also a couple of other people who are at Purpose, who I know more widely, Bank Australia, Heaps Normal. The beer brand, I think, are doing some really interesting work, not mm. least across how they think socially, environmentally, about their footprints and the impact they have. But also as a product that's trying to change a norm, that is a societal norm in terms of alcohol consumption, yeah. the negative impacts that has. There's no doubt there's a lot of great things. And also being on the Hatch Taronga startup and seeing some of the people who have been on that, xylosystems. Systems, I think Mm. are really fantastic and really going places in terms of how they're trying to standardize reporting on biodiversity, positive biodiversity projects and so on. So, you know, there's a lot of great things happening.
0: There really is, yeah. Camille from Zala is a a wonderful founder too. I believe we've got a podcast episode on her. And we are lining up an an episode with Andy Miller from Heaps Normal right now as well. So for everyone listening you will be able to click on through to these different organizations and initiatives that Andy has mentioned today in his article. So just head on through to the website. You'll see all of those links you can get inspired by. To finish off, though, Andy, let's talk about some books or resources that you'd recommend for our listeners.
1: I'm going, oh, okay, was that in in the interview? Is that in my little prompt thing? But that's completely cool. Oh, you did, actually. Sorry to be fair. Um, (laughs) As far as what I read and stuff and listen to, I often need to have something different to my work Mm. to take my mind somewhere else and to refresh my mind and refresh my thinking and challenge me in different ways or learn. Right. I love reading fiction. I don't tend to read a lot of fiction because I tend to read things that about the world and different lenses on the world. And I'll be absolutely honest with you. I feel like I'm, I'm really having a one-on-one with you now. Yeah. Okay. And it just happens to be that there are other people listening. So that's just lovely. But I'm reading a book called Seat of the Soul by Gary Zukav. And this book, actually, I first read, I remember, around about 30 years ago and a long time ago. And it was given to me by a really dear friend who read an inscription. And I actually shared that inscription with her. She lives in New York. Say, Ruthie, this book is still Giving and it's been updated and just by way of context I'm like, oh, this isn't really it doesn't appeal to me but if anybody's going what is this book about is there's a forward by Oprah Winfrey And she goes, this book has changed my life. And she goes, it's changed everything that I do. It's it's inspired me and supported me to set up my own production company and cable channel and to bring issues of like spirituality and personal development into programming, my programs. And I thought that would never be possible. She said that he's been a guest on her show like 20, 25 times now. So you can hear it from me and go, I think this is a really interesting book on Mm. personal development. But also somebody, you know, who runs a a very large media business. Also, So I'm reading that at the moment. That's really great. And I would just also sort of reinforce as far as like putting fuel in your tank mentally and energetically, meeting people, going out to events, going out to conferences and so on and making those connections. They are goals, really. They just do so much for you.
0: Could not agree anymore, Andy. So that's a a great way for us to wrap up. Andy, thank you so much for being so generous with your time and your insights, sharing your experience today. It's been great to chat, and I'm certainly looking forward to seeing where this conversation goes and and how we extend it and and watch all the great work you do. Thanks, Tom. Look, it's a real pleasure and an honour
1: to be asked, and and all I'm doing is talking about me, so that's fairly easy. All
0: right, Andy, you have a great day. We'll catch up soon. All right, cheers.